Hi, everyone. Welcome uh, to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill Filippo. We're doing uh, part two of our Big Ten season preview with our pal Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, how has it been in the 30 seconds since we hit stop on the last recording? Bill, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. A lot of things have changed for me, so I'm, <laughs> I'm having a good time. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, quite literally, uh, we're, we're, we're going to show you how the sausage is made here. Uh, I hit stop recording. I asked Patrick if he had to go to the bathroom. He said no. I went to get something out of my fridge, and now we're recording again. Uh, if you listened to the first half of this, uh, you know what's coming. If you didn't listen to the first half of this and you're only listening to the second half, uh, you could go and listen to that one if you want. But if you don't want to, we are breaking down the t- we're breaking down every team in the Big Ten. 1 through 14, have them listed by betting odds. The first episode was Illinois, Purdue, Michigan State, Maryland, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Northwestern. Now we're going to do the top seven teams by betting odds. I have one big question for each team that I'm going to present to Patrick. We're going to talk about it a little bit, and then I'm going to ask him, what is it? Is there anything about that team that really interests him? We're going to uh, talk about the record last year, betting on all those sorts of things. So... Let's just dive right in and talk about a team that I think Penn State fans have gotten to know them really well, and that would be the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Last season, Minnesota went three and four, uh, number 34 in SP+. They brought in the number eight recruiting class in the Big Ten uh, last year, 25 to 1 odds to win the conference. And Patrick, I guess my question, they, two years ago they had this magical season. Tanner Morgan uh, getting the ball to Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman. They were running the ball well. Their defense is flying. It seemed like everything was going right for Minnesota. And then last year it seemed like they kind of settled in to the spot that they should jet and I don't mean this as a slight against the program, they should generally expect to be in. Uh, in your eyes, is there a more, you know, just kind of meh, kind of okay, like the midpoint team of the 14 teams in the Big Ten than Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, I think Minnesota certainly makes sense in that role. Um, Iowa has long filled sort of a, a role adjacent to that. It's I think it's a little bit better than midpoint because the Big Ten isn't especially good. Um you know, I, I think Minnesota certainly certainly suits that role pretty well. Northwestern's highs are a little bit too high for it. Michigan State would make sense in that spot. I think Nebraska is probably the other one that I would I would contend has a has a uh, a contention there. But um, Minnesota is it is sort of supposed to be like this. If you look at the talent level, it it certainly overperformed in 2019 and and probably underperformed in 2020. But Six and six, seven and five feels about right for what PJ Fleck has has built here, and so I, I wouldn't have any serious uh, any serious argument against that. And the thing that Minnesota at least has going for them is they have a quarterback in Tanner Morgan, who's in year seven thousand as their quarterback. They have a running back in Mohamed Ibrahim. They have a they're always going to have decent pass catchers because PJ Fleck just knows how to coach uh, wide receivers. Is there anything about this team that you find particularly interesting? Um, I, I like Muhammad Ibrahim. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. It's troubling that their offense was as bad as it was despite having him last season. I mean, he rushed for, he rushed for a thousand yards in seven games. The guy was really good. And yet they still had the 71st offense in points per game, which is not the, not a perfect stat, but, um, 
so I'm interested in watching him. I think the rushing attack will still be good. They have a huge offensive line, one of the one of the biggest in America, which is not new information. I'm sure that the the Fox broadcasters say that literally every time Minnesota plays on Fox. But I I will like to watch the rushing attack. It's fun to watch. I'm I'm troubled by this passing game. Um, I think Tanner Morgan kind of stinks. I think he's kind of not very good. Um, and that Kirk Scirocco made him look a lot better than he actually is, and that offensive coordinator Mike Sanford, who was new in town last year, um, is not capable of doing that for a, a number of reasons. Um, I won't spend too much time talking down on the guy, but I don't think he's an especially capable offensive coordinator. Um, and Rashad Bateman is gone, which is troubling, because Rashad Bateman was really good last year, and the passing game, the passing game still struggled. Uh, Chris Altman-Bell is good. I like him. He's hurt right now, which maybe doesn't fare especially well for Minnesota's first week matchup against Ohio State. But I do think that the offense should improve. I just don't know that the ceiling is ever going to be as high as it was again under Fleck in, in 2019. And that was such a unique combination of things that I think when you pair those those players with Sharaka, it was really a perfect combination that I don't think they can they can – they can match again. I don't think that Tanner Morgan is somebody who other offensive coordinators can just work with. He's a very unique player in that he's not very good. And you have to go sort of have your entire offense built around minimizing that. And other guys just aren't going to do that. So I, I really think the ceiling here is like seven and five or eight and four, just because they, they lack the, the top end talent on either side of the ball to, to go above that. You know, I just, I can't resist. What was it about Kirk Shiraka in 2019? that wasn't replicable in 2020 and you know exactly what i'm asking well do you you remember in the last episode how i talked about um coaches somewhat losing their their edge in schematic advantages and in doing creative things when they go to Mm -hmm. larger schools yeah um I think maybe he ran into a little bit of that. Um, I think that I think that he is someone who is built to coach and to win games as an offensive coordinator or as a head coach at smaller schools that do not generate a ton of attention, that do not really have fans yelling at him or media asking him what he's doing or things like that. A place where you can run screens 30 times a game and people don't get mad at you. Um and where the talent doesn't, you know, where, where the talent can do that realistically and people won't think that you are wasting everyone's time, that you are not maximizing what you have. Kirk Shiraka put simply and to put him in a in a box that probably minimizes his ability as a coach. Um, he is a he is a offensive coordinator for a school that doesn't have a ton of talent. That, that is his that is his role. That is what he is best at. And there are guys who make a very good living doing that. That is not a bad job to have. Jim Levitt does that for defenses. He is a very good coordinator for schools that are not good at defense. And I don't think that Kirk Shiraka is built to be an offensive coordinator at a school that has significant talent advantages against its opponents because he will not maximize that. He can maximize teams that don't have that talent advantage. And I think that that's that's what it comes down to. So you, you want to talk about maximizing talent advantages. Let's talk about them, Indiana Hoosiers. Yes, um, sir. That, they were – you can make a case they were the story in college football yeah. last season. Uh, Hoosiers went 6-1, and one, uh, number 12 in the Big Ten. 
they brought in the nation's number 12, uh, not the nation, woo, uh, they brought in the Big Ten's number 12 recruiting class last year. Their odds are 20 to 1 to win the conference this season. And Indiana is just such a fascinating team, Patrick, because the huge question with them, and I, I know what your answer to this is, because I know that you are, you're really in love with what they're doing over there. It's just that I don't want to minimize what they did by any stretch of the imagination because they were in an outstanding football team last year. But there's an element when you are a school like Indiana and you're good at football of sneaking up on people. And now that that has been taken away from them, do you think they could be as good as they were last year? So I'm of two minds with this because I do think that there is something to be said for sneaking up on teams for having a 2019 Minnesota season to, to, you know, to an extent. And I do think that as good as Indiana was last year, which is, this is part of why I am encouraged as good as they were last year. I think they could have been a lot better. I I think that their coaching could have been better, not from the top. I think Tom Allen is, is very, very good at motivating his players and at getting guys to buy in. Um, I don't think that Nick Sheridan, the offensive coordinator is especially good at his job yet. I think it could be. Um, but he is, he was not, you know, he was not on, on, on par with the guy that came before him. I believe Kalen DeBoer, who's at Fresno state now. Um, it was a lot of sort of lacking creativity on offense and, and Mike, Michael Penix was able to make up for that. And Ty Freifogel was able to make, make up for that. But I do think that they could be better coached this season, which is encouraging the defense. Maybe less so because Kane Womack is gone and he was really, really good at his job. And that that defense is probably not going to reach those highs again. And, you know, that that could be an issue. But I do think that there is still room for Indiana to grow, which is funny to say. It's just that they have to grow and also make up now for the the fact that they do have a talent disadvantage and they're not going to sneak up on teams anymore, which is where my my sort of split thinking on this team comes from is that I think they can be better, but I also think that teams will be much more aware of them. And so I don't know how much the production actually changes when you when you combine those two things. I think that Indiana could be in for another season pretty similar to last year's, even if they are a more talented or a better coached team. And if Indiana fans would be satisfied for that, I, I don't know. I certainly hope they would be. Um, not to like talk down on Indiana fans, who are very nice people, but... Don't don't put yourself in Glenn Mason territory here. You know, don't don't get into a, a world where eight and four is is frustrating or disappointing. It's it's not. I mean, buddy, I've I've covered Ohio State for four years. I know that these people are not happy, and it is not a good place to be. And I think that Indiana being eight and four would would be excellent. I think that it would be a very good eight and four team. But I do think that there's a distinct possibility that Indiana's win production takes a step back, even if the team itself is better. And the big thing with Indiana in terms of like what at least what's interesting to me and I'll, I'll I'll take the floor here before I give it to you is that they were that good last season despite the fact that Michael Penix eventually got hurt despite yeah. the, they're bringing back a collection you know they're losing Steve they lost Stevie Scott but they still have some running back talent they still have some really really good pass catchers they have a guy who has a case for being the best defensive back in the big 10 he might not end up being the best but taiwan mullen is a monster micah mcfadden is the heart and soul of that defense is really good you mentioned uh the issues with losing kane womack you still got tom allen there he's going his i i'm imagining he's going to be 
have some influence on what that defense does, and they're going to end up being a very well-coached unit anyway. It just seems to me when we're talking about Indiana, yeah, they're not going to be able to sneak up on teams anymore because, you know, teams are now going to go, okay, Indiana's coming. We got to be locked in this week. But at the same time, like, I just question how much that matters because there is a, especially if Penix doesn't get hurt again, which, you know, I, I think, yeah, this is wood and I'm knocking on it. Like, there's talent in this program. They have the potential to do some things, even if, you know, they're, you know, they should, could, whatever, take a step back. Yeah, and I, I think that the part of the the issue here is that they have four. Indiana has four very easily losable games on this schedule. I mean, at Iowa to open the season is not friendly. Um, Cincinnati's going to beat them at home. I, I'll, I'll tell you that right now. At Penn State is never going to be a good time, and then you get Ohio State at home, and that's, I mean. Indiana almost won that game last year, and I, I I don't think that it is out of the realm of possibility that it could win it this year, because um, if you're going to have a strength against Ohio State, being able to throw the ball is a pretty good one. Um, but it's just a it's a situation like I was like I was alluding to where I think the talent, I think that the coaching, I think that the team is going to be better than it was last year. It just doesn't quite get the same draw that it did a season prior, and you know. I personally, I have 10 and two Indiana. I think Indiana loses to Cincinnati and Ohio State. Um, I, I think it, I, I I would put Penn State third there. I think that it is a distinct possibility. But I do think that eight and four is is just as realistic as as 10 and two or even 11 and one if it can be you know Cincinnati or whatever. And I do think this is going to be a really good team. I'm just I'm curious to see what the ceiling is when you do have you're still with a a talent disadvantage. Like you said, they pulled in the 12th best class in the conference and there's 14 teams in the conference. That's not very good. That's, that's lower than you would want it to be if you're Indiana and they, they have not quite taken advantage of their success on the field in recruiting, which is troubling. But I I think this is going to be a really good team. I just, like I, like I was alluding to, I don't know what the ceiling is. Was Michael Penick short? No. I will see you in hell, my friend. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I actually might see you in at hell is real. I'm trying to get a ticket to that. Uh, moving, on, moving on to uh, the funniest team in the Big Ten, folks, and that would be the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Michigan went two and four last season. If you want to place a wager, they're at 20 to one odds. Michigan beat having the same odds as Indiana to win the Big Ten is absolutely bonkers. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, 20 to one, two and four last season, number 33 in SP plus brought in the number two recruiting class in the Big Ten. All I think that has to come with the caveat that most years, uh, the number two recruiting class in the Big Ten is like Still in the top 10, it was the number 13 class in the country last season. Um, Patrick, we could talk about Michigan football all day long, but I think we need to just ask the one big, gigantic, broad question about them. What's a good year? So I'm I'm really curious about this because what is a good year relative to this team? relative to the talent that they have here, I think is different than what is a good year for Michigan. I, I think that, and I'm not the first person to touch on this, on the differences in expectations when you put the, you know, <laughs> the Michigan name on a team. It, it, it changes things. It just does. And I don't know if there is a way 
uh, short of beating Ohio State and going 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 for Jim Har- Harbaugh to change the minds of Michigan fans who have made up their minds on him, especially if Matt Campbell wins the Big 12. I, I don't know if he can do that. So I don't know if there is a realistic good year here. If we're taking the name off of it, if we're taking the last two years off of this team, I think eight and four would be pretty impressive. I, they're they're in a they're in a difficult division. They're in a division that has, you know, upstart teams like Indiana and Rutgers that I think have a very decent chance of beating Michigan. Um, they you know for their sake they get both at home, but they also have to play Washington in the non-conference. They have to play a good Western Michigan team in the non-conference. They draw Wisconsin on the road from the other side of the conference. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um and, and so I think that I think eight and four would be pretty good. I I think that losing to, you know, four of Ohio State, Penn State, Indiana, Wisconsin, and Washington, who are all ranked entering the season, I think that would be pretty realistic and winning one of those games you you feel pretty good about that but because it is Michigan because it has had the seasons that it's had I think that you have to go like nine and three or ten and two I think you can only lose two or or even one of those games and that just if we're talking about realistic realistic expectations there's just not the guys here to do that I mean Cade McNamara is the starting quarterback and you know I I just it doesn't seem like they know how to use their receivers. They, it doesn't seem like they know how to really run this offense. It doesn't seem like Jim Harbaugh wants to run the Josh Gaddis offense. Defense brings back Aiden Hutchinson, who I like. Brings back Dax Hill, who I like. It doesn't have any cornerbacks. It doesn't have linebackers that it can really trust. From what I have seen, it is breaking in a new scheme, and so the the realistic expectation here, I think, is lower than what Michigan fans need it to be, and it's just. It, it is a dynamic that is it's it's I don't know how you solve that without a a split between the two parties in, in Harbaugh and Michigan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a thing that we've talk, spoken about in this pod plenty of times before. It's something that you and I have spoken about before. But like they're in the weird position of firing Jim Harbaugh means admitting what everyone thinks Michigan football should be is not tenable anymore. But yeah. at the same time, like. At what point, like, I, I, I don't know how much of whatever's wrong with Michigan is on Harbaugh. The answer is probably a decent amount. But at what point does it's just very obvious that we are going to finish third in the division most years yeah. get to be, you know, I don't want to say unacceptable, but like reality. And Michigan's just going to be in that spot seemingly for a while. You mentioned uh, you know, Cade McNamara is their quarterback, but that that seems to me, as I am pretty confident it does to you, like a C.J. Stroud is the quarterback until Quinn Ewers is ready situation, mm, but only with mm-hmm. J.J. Mc- oh, you don't? No, I said, mm-hmm. Oh, there we go. Uh, yes, I do. But yes, with J.J. McCarthy, unless they decide, listen, if Josh Gaddis decides he wants to go full crazy and put Alan Bowman back there and play Texas Tech ball, that would kick ass, and I, I highly, highly recommend doing that. But, like, they're slow on offense. They have a couple of guys on defense. But just to me, it feels like it feels like at the end of the season, Michigan's going to have to make a decision, and it's just very hard. Like, it's a believe-it-when-I-see-it thing. You know, I was saying this about Messi leaving, so God knows. But it's a believe it when I see it thing with Michigan is finally going to get rid of Jim Harbaugh. 
it's just such a hard thing to fathom. Like, what are like? Is there anything that you are going to be paying particularly close attention to when you watch Michigan this season? I think that if the offense looks like Josh Gaddis's, he can save his job. That that is, I, I think that if he has fully ceded control of the offense, if it looks like they are trying something new, if Ronnie Bell is is being used in a way that resembles how you use a good receiver, I think that that would do a a lot to heal some of the wounds that Michigan fans have as they watch, you know, really, <laughs> you know, really good receivers in the NFL. Like I'm a Browns fan and I'm watching Donovan Peoples Jones look really, really good in year two. And Nico Collins just had a very good start in the preseason. I think if Michigan fans get to see a good Ronnie Bell this season, get to see a, a passing game that gets the ball out to talented receivers, Ronnie Bell's a good receiver. And I, I think that if, if he looks like a good receiver, if they use him correctly, that would go a very, very, very long way. If Hassan Haskins looks like a good running back, which I think he is, um, if the offense looks like it is moving towards something and that it was just lacking in talent this season, um, I think that leads to seven and four or seven and five or, or eight and four. And I think that that is enough to at least give him another year. I, I think that that in a lot of people my a lot of people's minds that improvement would be encouraging and would be enough to to convince them that he can still get this done in some significant way especially if you pair that with a, a defense that looks competent in spite of its issues at cornerback whether that happens i it's like you said i need to see it to believe it i need to see that he actually wants someone else to run his offense i need to see that the defense isn't terrible i need to see all that stuff but i do think that that could that could change the timeline a little bit, essentially, in that Michigan's administration, as much as the fans want to see this change, Michigan's administration does not want to make a change. It does not want to go for, away from Jim Harbaugh. If it did, it would have already. They don't want to admit that this isn't that this isn't working. And so uh, if if he starts to show a willingness to change, which we've never seen from him before, then I do think that, that, that they can they can keep this alive. They can keep this ball up in the air for at least another season. Hey, speaking of keeping a ball up in the air for another season and another season and another season, let's talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes. Let's go. Uh, Iowa last season, uh, a, a very respectable football team uh, as they are wont to be. Six and two on the year, finished last season. Number 10 in SP Plus with the number two defense in college football. You can get them at nine to one uh, to win the Big Ten this year uh recruiting wise they are bringing in the number seven class in the big 10 uh ton of four-star talent uh yeah i'm I'm just looking through this right now it looks like there were a ton of kids and just like that iowa minnesota missouri area that they were able to reel in so good on kirk for being able to do that. And the question for Iowa, I didn't even write a question down. I just put a <laughs> pair of brackets and I put insert the same questions they have every year. So Patrick, yeah. Iowa. I mean, the ceiling is what it is. It's Iowa. They're going to go eight and four. Uh, it's the, the ceiling and the floor are one and the same. Spencer Petrus, Spencer Petrus is, I would actually say one of the worst that they have had <laughs> at quarterback during Kirk Ferentz's long time tenure. This he, kid stinks. He seems more chaotic than usual, yeah. which is what I appreciate about him. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's certainly chaotic. He's he's losing his top two receivers and three starting offensive linemen, which is uh, worrisome. 
Um, Tyler Goodson, the running back, is good. I, I think that he will keep the offense afloat. It will be exactly where it usually is. It will average probably about 25, 26 points per game. The defense loses a troubling number of starters, Davion Nixon being chief among them, the defensive tackle. Um, but I think that the line will always be good because it is Iowa. I think the defense will remain probably top 30 range. It was top 10 last year. It was a very good defense. Um, I, I don't think it's impossible to see Iowa taking a slight step back, but a slight step back is seven and five. I, I just, it's very hard to see it breaking out of that, that realm in either direction, either falling out of bowl eligibility or improving beyond like eight and four, just because one, it's Iowa and this is what it does. And two, who's going to beat them in the West, save for Wisconsin and, you know, maybe some amalgamation of Minnesota, Northwestern, Nebraska, I guess it's just they are they are well coached enough that they're really not going to fall off in any meaningful way, even when they lose talent. What I will say about Iowa is this. There might not be a team in the country with two tougher games to start their season, even if one of them is at home. Like, yeah, Indiana and then having to go to Iowa State for El Asico is like (laughs) – there's there's a real chance 0-2 Iowa is on the table. And, but then, like you said, like they might – Penn State goes to Kinnick. But, you know, Franklin is generally, aside from last year, done well against Ferris. Yeah. So there's that. Two Wisconsin, I wouldn't like, – just just as an aside, I wouldn't recommend going to Kinnick. <laughs> no, no, no. There – you you're probably a little bit too young to remember this game. Do you remember the 2012 game between Penn State and Iowa? Vaguely, not yes. not super well. I wasn't watching a ton of like Penn State at the time. Makes sense. So that was Bill O'Brien's first game, and I think maybe only game against Iowa. And in the years leading up to that, Paterno and Ference just like had a bet with each other to see who could set football back the farthest. And Penn State <laughs> won that game 38 to 14. And I still okay. don't think anyone believes that game happened. Uh, yeah, like it, it was just ugly, ugly football for years, and then go in there and you know roughing them up pretty good but uh neither here nor there uh iowa yeah am i am i remembering am i remembering incorrectly that there's a penn state iowa game that was like three two six four six four all right (laughs) so so even better the three two is i think mississippi state and auburn yeah yeah Uh, yeah i'm guessing there is nothing or no one involved with the iowa football program you find interesting um, no, not, not really. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious to see how long Kirk Ferentz can keep this up and, uh, how long Iowa wants him to keep it up if Brett Bielema starts winning at Illinois. Um, but other, I mean, for this season specifically, I'm not going to watch Iowa. I, I don't think anybody should watch Iowa. That's not a good thing to do. Without looking it up, how old is Kirk Ferentz? Oh God. 64. He's 66. And I can't tell okay. if that's older than I thought or younger than I yeah, he it's it's weird that he's older than Urban Meyer, like a lot older. He's like ten years older than Urban yeah. Meyer. And I mean, yeah, I, Urban Meyer's decrepit. <laughs> <So I don't laughs> really... Ooh, give me a sec. Uh, who do you think? How much older do you think he is than Greg Schiano? Oh man, um, eleven, eleven years old. Exactly eleven years old. Let's go. We love there that. You go. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, my my boy's on fire. Uh, yeah. All right, let's do it. Let's talk Penn State. Nittany Lions okay. eight and one 
to win the Big Ten next season. Uh, they finished 18th in SP Plus despite ending the year with a 4-5 and five record. Uh, brought in the number six recruiting class in the Big Ten. It was one of those, I, I believe, in terms of like average per player, they were third best in the Big Ten. They just brought in like a comically small class. But yeah. Penn State is... Listen, my my biases aside, like trying to just take a step back, Penn State is one of the most fascinating teams in college football this year because this entire this entire offseason has been last year was just such a fluky year. It was such a Murphy's Law year. But then you look at the schedule at Wisconsin, Ball State, Auburn, Villanova, Indiana, at Iowa. Like there's a chance this can go off the rails very quickly, even if Penn State looks very good in all of those games, since you are what your record is. Uh, and the question for you, Patrick, despite all of those questions, is Penn State a Sean Clifford away, a good Sean Clifford away, from being a legitimate playoff contender? Oh, also, before I forget, 8-1 and one, uh, eight to one odds to win the Big Ten. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, man, I I love the... I love the receivers. I really, really love the receivers. Jahan Dotson is awesome. Um, Parker Washington was was a, a very good story last season. It was was quite a bit of fun to watch. I think that Penn State absolutely should have skilled players that good, and I think that it is it is understandable that they do. I think the defense should should take probably a step in the right direction, even with some some losses. Um, I like the secondary quite a bit. We talked about this you know, before the last crew game that we watched together of, I think the secondary is going to take a step forward. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm quite that high on Penn state. I, I don't know if you plug, um, I'll pick a quarterback at random. Let's say you put Kyle McCord at quarterback for this team. I don't know if that makes them a playoff team. I don't know if the, the defense i don't know if the offensive line i don't know if the team around the quarterback is is quite on that level because to get to the playoff as you mentioned you're going to have to get through wisconsin on the road indiana at home at iowa and at ohio state in your first eight games of the season along with hey auburn is there in an off you know in a in an odd year without a ranking entering the season which usually bodes fairly well for Auburn and a Ball State team which is really good in the MAC and I don't think Indiana loses either of those games or, or Penn State sorry loses either of those games but I do think that that's a lot to ask of a team that is still breaking in some new pieces and is you know trying to figure out specifically what went wrong last year and had an off season to figure it out but, but it's college football it you have to learn on the fly sometimes and I don't think that Penn State is really going to get the time to do that. If if this team started the way that it ends with at Maryland, Michigan, Rutgers, at Michigan State, and then just flipped the schedule around, I would feel a lot better. But I don't I don't think that the surrounding talent around the quarterback is enough to be seriously woeful about the fact that Sean Clifford is the quarterback. I don't think it makes a huge difference in terms of the the ceiling, just because quarterback's only going to do so much for you. And I ask you specifically that question because I know we like you and I have had plenty of conversations about this and I know you're not exactly sold on Sean Clifford. But what I want to yeah. ask you about is the guy who's going to be coaching up Sean Clifford. What did you as someone on the outside, as someone who uh, 
knows how good he can be as a coordinator. Think of Penn State uh, canning Kirk Shiraka and bringing in Mike Yersich. Man, I don't want to be mean here. <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't don't go for it, man. I don't want to be mean because I I don't think that this is Mike Yursich's fault. I will say before before I say this, I will mention that I do not think this is his fault. I don't think that Mike Yursich has called an offense in like a decade. I don't think that he has coordinated an offense since he was working at what was it, Shippenburg, um, before he went to Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy calls his own offense. Ryan Day calls his own offense. Tom Herman calls his own offense. And so when we talked to Mike Yurcich when he was at Ohio State, I often got the impression that I don't I didn't really know what he was doing because Ryan Day coordinates the passing game and Kevin Wilson coordinates the rushing attack. And so I think Mike Yersich has been around good offensive minds. I think that he has he has likely taken in a lot of that information. Say what you will about Gundy and about Tom Herman, neither of whom I think are especially good coaches. Um, they they do know a decent amount about offense. Tom Herman knows how to build a really a really interesting offense around a quarterback that likes to run the ball. You know, Mike Gundy knows how to build a a capable and strong air raid offense that he has modified into something. Um, worse but that is at least sort of up to date with what the rest of college football is running ryan day is a really good offensive mind i'm not going to qualify that statement he has worked around people who i think know what they're doing and i would assume that he has picked up how to run an offense from those people however i don't know if i can really speak to what he is capable of because i don't think we've ever seen what he is capable of at least not at this level I, i think that he is as new to this as someone with as much experience as he has can possibly be and I just I need to I need to see him actually call an offense before I believe that he is capable of calling an offense. Essentially, the on paper his resume is good. It's just he's essentially he is you know coming out of uh, he's coming out of like grad school at an Ivy right now. He looks great. You need to see him actually do the work. And so I, I think it was a good hire. I think it was a hire that makes sense. But I do also think that I am not ready to anoint him a very good offensive coordinator because I haven't seen him coordinate an offense. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the fact that they're starting this season by just getting thrown right in, right into the fire, like probably the toughest Big Ten road game you can have, save for going to Ohio State, playing an SEC team that is, you know, schooled in the art of chaos and playing one of the best group of five teams to start your season. I mean, if Penn State gets out of that 3-0, and like, I'm I'm then going to start talking myself into yeah. this being a team that can win the Big Ten. But, yeah. you know, I have my skepticisms, I have my concerns, uh, stuff that you're particularly keen on watching uh, once the Nittany Lions kick their season off. Um, I think the rushing attack should be fun i i'm excited to watch this this running attack more so than i was last year after the very unfortunate circumstances that kind of determined that that running game um is it kavon kavon or kavon kavon uh, lee okay he rocks is he is he healthy is he good to go yeah i mean but by all accounts uh penn state's he's healthy noah kane's healthy uh yeah. they feel good about devin ford uh they like what Keziah Holmes brings. And then John Lovett, uh, who is at Baylor is apparently right there with all of them. So like, it's mm-hmm. it, you know, speaking myself as a fan, they have five dudes. And if they put any of them back there at running back, I'm going to feel pretty good about it. 
Yeah, and I, I, I think that I think the running game is going to be good. I am also excited to see Jahan Dotson go for, you know, 15 for 215 against seven banks like he did last season. Um, <laughs> he, that's... The cool, Jahan Dotson is my favorite kind of wide receiver uh, in that he's the kind of wide receiver who's mad that, like, there are defensive backs who try to line up across from him. He's very fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I personally, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I'll tell you, I wouldn't line up against it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right, let's uh, let, let's move on to our second to last team, which is the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, they are at thirteen to two to win the Big Ten. They're the favorites to win the Big Ten West. Uh, obviously, like we mentioned, Penn State starts the season by head out to Camp Randall, Wisconsin, three and three uh, last year. SP plus, they were the number fifteen team in college football. Uh, only three spots higher than Penn State. I didn't uh, didn't. Didn't think that would be the case. Thought they'd be a little bit higher just because they're Wisconsin. Uh, number three recruiting class in the Big Ten brought in a five-star in uh, Pennsylvania's Nolan Ricci. I'm now going to just not mention his name again, lest people get mad at me. Uh, the question that I always have for Wisconsin, uh, you know, they're kind of like Iowa in this way. Well, my question is, can they just do what they always do but a little bit better? And I'm not going to lie, Patrick. I know this is famous last words considering who Penn State Penn State has him to start the season in Camp Randall. But when you look at their quarterback, when you look at who they have at running back, when you look at just all these various things, it seems like Wisconsin will be good, but they won't be good for Wisconsin. Does that make sense? So, uh, yes, I think it does make sense. My issue with that is that when was the last time it, it did that? When was the last time Wisconsin did, did not exceed the the team that it was on paper? I I think last year you could make a case, but it was also, it was 2020, and I don't know how much we can really take from 2020. Um, and the other, the other issue is that I don't know if Wisconsin has had a quarterback this talented since Russell Wilson. Of course, being talented and being good are different things. Graham Mertz is not good. He's talented. And... <laughs> If he's <laughs> if he's good this year, then Wisconsin's going to go 12. No, Wisconsin's not going to lose a game. Um, it'll lose a game in the Big Ten Championship, but it, it will not lose up until that point. If he, he is talented, they went 4-3 and three last year, and their offense wasn't very good. And I don't know if Jalen Berger is good enough to make up for that at, at running back, and they don't really have a great receiver that they have had in the past. You know, there's, there's not a... Uh, the name that comes to mind is Nick Toon. There's not a Nick Toon here, um, which is remember some say. guys, baby. Let's yeah. do it. There's yeah. no Jared funny. Aberderis sliding. That's that's right. There's no. Uh, oh, who was the guy? Jazz. Um, what was his the Jazz name? Chisholm plays baseball. Jimmy Jazz. I don't no, know. Jazz if that Peavy. Was it. Jazz Peavy. That's right. Jazz Peavy. He was good. I don't think there's a Jazz Peavy here. Danny Davis is good. Maybe Danny Davis can be that guy. I don't know how it's possible that he's still here. Uh, um, tight end Jake Ferguson is also okay. But is Graham Mertz good or is he talented? I think it's going to determine a lot of this team's ceiling. The floor is 10 and 2 or even 11 and 1, partially because it plays in the West, partially because it is the better version of Iowa. And we have we have touched on what made Iowa, what makes Iowa so good. Um, Wisconsin brings back eight starters on a, a good defense. Um, I I just I don't think that the floor is any lower than 10 wins, even if if Graham Mertz is just not good, because this was a team that was still making the Big Ten championship game with Jack Cohn. No, uh, 
Put some respect on Notre Dame starting quarterback Jack Cohn, friend. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll definitely do that, especially <laughs> especially when I get a DM from his dad last week saying that I need to respect Jack Cohn oh more. Oh, my God. I'm not, well, I'm, I'm not going to, so quit asking. <laughs> congrats to everyone still listening to this podcast. But you just, uh, Patrick just uh, brought, brought an entire thing of tea. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> while you were talking, an interesting thing that I uh, went and looked up, Wisconsin has not beaten Penn State since uh, – you know, uh, Joe Paterno stopped being the coach. Like the, Bill O'Brien won in Madison famously, and then uh, Big Ten championship game, and then in 2018, Penn State won a very Big Ten game that ended with a very Big Ten score of 22 to 10. Um, uh-huh. That obviously means doesn't mean anything. Just a little thing I wanted to note, and I'm sure I will note plenty of times as I talk myself into Penn State being able to beat them. Uh, uh, Bill, Bill, I have to ask real quick. Uh, did anything happen in that, that Big Ten championship game that was significant to Penn State fans or anything like that? Was there any one like play or, or you know a pass to, to a certain player that was maybe uh, significant uh, for, for you guys? I, I, actually, I actually don't think I've ever told you this, but I was sitting on the goal line uh, about mm-hmm. 25 or 30 rows up. So I watched that play develop and I think I started jumping like as it left Trace's hand and, okay. you know, TJ Watt got barbecue chicken. It was very fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Listen, just a quick, quick little note for James Franklin. If Wisconsin decides to put their, all their linebackers who somehow all run a four, nine, seven on anyone who has speed, just, just have them run far and have Clifford. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah. Players who, inter- it, it seems to me like, the interesting pl- the most interesting player to you is Graham Mertz because he's kind of going to determine the path this Wisconsin team takes. But is there anyone else that you're really excited to watch this year? Not really. I mean, the conglomerate defense will be good, but they're they're you know eleven guys who are stuck together that they pull apart before the game starts, and you know it's uh, <laughs> it, it, none of them are significant enough to actually name. I it's it's mostly Mertz. I'm curious to see what he does because, like I said, he's he's a supremely talented player. I just uh, uh, this is a hard <laughs> offense to uh, <laughs> to learn and to run, and a lot of guys just never do it. And I would like to see him do it because I, I think he. I think he's a good player, and I, I hope that he can reach that level. And then our final team, uh, the, the, uh, I live in mm-hmm. Columbus now, the Ohio State <laughs> Buckeyes, uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, the number one, uh, well, last season went 5-0 and in conference play, uh, number two team in the country in SP+. Plus. They won their national championship game against Clemson, but they lost the national championship game against Alabama, brought in the number two recruiting class in college football, uh, which, one, I didn't realize because I thought when they uh, added viewers they might be able to jump Alabama. No. Uh, yeah. But and a fascinating team uh, – because of the guy I just mentioned, Quinn Ewers, like Ohio State's going to be replacing uh, Justin Fields, magnetic, magnificent quarterback with, as of right now, a guy who has been in the program for a minute in CJ Stroud, um, someone who it seems like there's optimism that he can get the job done, Patrick, but the big thing with Ohio State is whether or not Quinn Ewers takes over eventually. 
and mm-hmm. just what that means for the program. So I'm going to start by just asking you that question that I might pick your brain a little bit more just because you're able to provide some unique perspective on the Buckeyes. Does Quinn Ewers take over the offense eventually? And about when do you think that happens? So I, I want to preface this by by saying before any of this, um, and I, I do this a lot when I talk about Ohio State on non-Ohio State affiliated products. Um, I am not an Ohio State fan. I cover the team. <laughs> um, this is, I, I am, uh, a lot of the things that I will say here, I, when I, if I talk about this team truthfully, will sound uh, high and mighty, I guess. Because Ohio State is one of the four teams in college football that is consistently going to the playoff. Yes, this I, is not I, a team that this I is not a team that I like to be overly positive about. It's just the nature of the the program. And as a um, person who has discussed Ohio State with Patrick when he is off the record, I can confirm all of this. Yes. So I, I do not want people to to get the wrong idea here and think that you have brought a, an Ohio State homer on to a Penn State podcast to talk about Ohio State. Um, I just cover the team, <laughs> but I just work here. And so to, to, to answer your question after my brief aside there, um, I don't think Quinn's going to start this year. I don't think Quinn's going to play all that much this year. Um, I think Quinn will be the starter in 2022. I would go on record in an article and say that, um, I, I, I think he's too good to keep off the field for a second straight season, but Quinn got here, here being, I live in Columbus, um, on, as we record this on Tuesday, uh, Quinn got here yesterday. (laughs) Quinn got here, his first practice was yesterday. He arrived this weekend. Um, Ohio State had its 14th practice today, I think. It was, it might have, it might have been 11th actually, as I, as I think about it. It was not, it, it, they're, they have like four left at, at the most, um, Quinn is not going to start this year, and and a lot of this season is really going to just be about getting him in a college weight room, getting him on a college diet, getting him on. And when I say a college diet, I do not mean that he's eating like PJs every day. I mean that he's like you know going out and having steak every night so that he can gain weight. Um, I, I I think a lot of this season is about getting him integrated enough that he can fully compete for the starting job next season, which was going to be the expectation anyway. But I think he wanted to get ahead of that while also making some money on the side. Um, and so I, I think that he'll probably play as a, as a backup in garbage time and things like that. But Penn state fans, you're not going to see Quinn on the field this year. You're just, when, when Ohio state plays against Penn state, you're not seeing Quinn. Um, it's going to be CJ Stroud. And, and I, I, I don't even when I say that I think Quinn's going to be the starter next year, I don't I don't know if I agree with the idea that CJ Stroud is someone who would just get the job done. Everything that we have seen and heard um and I take everything that I hear from Ohio State with a a serious grain of salt cuz this is a team that I I won't sugarcoat this that likes to lie about things that it has seen in practice <laughs> that that likes to just just not tell the truth about what players are doing. Um, I mean, I've heard for four years now that Demario McCall is going to be the starting running back. Essentially, it it is just I I don't take things that they say very seriously. And so, uh, when I say this, I I really do mean this and believe this. I think C.J. Stroud is roughly the exact same guy that they just had. I I, I think that in terms of skill set, in terms of what he brings, I don't think there's a huge difference between C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields. Justin Fields was a more 
refined version of that because he had two years in the system. But physically, CJ Stroud's about 6'3, 230 right now. He's he's a big guy. Um he's throwing the ball way the hell down the field. He's putting a lot of spin on those passes. He throws a really pretty ball. He's a good athlete. He is if you just saw the two on the field, you didn't see their numbers, you didn't see the names, you just saw the the production, you just saw the ball come out of their hand, you would not see a huge difference between him and Justin Fields. And so that speaks to what I think about Quinn Ewers, but it also it's just I mean, he's a he's a former five star. He's he's a really talented, you know, CJ Stroud is a is a really talented player. And so I just I don't think there's going to be that much of a of a drop off. There won't be significant enough for Quinn to get on the field this year, but I just think Quinn is that much better. Um but the the quarterback play is not going to take a, a severe step back anytime soon at Ohio State. I just it's these guys are too good. Yeah, and I'm looking at their schedule and like the, I think, kind of accepted uh, line that everyone has is if you're going to make the quarterbacks, what you do at the bye week. Uh, I just looked at who Ohio State has immediately after their bye week, and it's at Indiana and then against Penn State. So, like, yeah. I th- that that window to make the big change is a quite a bit different than if. Right after the, you know, their, their two games immediately before the bye are at Rutgers and Maryland. And if you flip those around, like, it's an yep. incredibly different thing. But, uh, yeah, so I'm very glad you said that because I think that is um, the entire – where everyone is right now is that Quinn Ewers went to Ohio State and he's so good they're not going to be able to keep him off the field. But it seems like you don't necessarily believe that. How much of that is a belief – in what C.J. Stroud is able to bring as a quarterback and how much of it do you think is because if you're going to be throwing the football to uh, – if you're going to be throwing it to Garrett Wilson, if you're going to be throwing it to Chris Olave, if you're going to be throwing it to Jeremy Ruckert, to any of the other freak of nature five-star wide receivers that they have behind that offensive line with that running back down – like anyone is going to be able to be to do some pretty good things behind with everything else that's around them yeah i I think that it is it's it's a cop-out but it's a little bit of both it's you know like i said cj stroud's really good and and ohio state has two relative to the program of the best receivers it has ever seen right now in chris olave and garrett wilson and it also has a tight end who's one of the best in the nation that it's not going to throw to it has you know, five stars all over the field, as it always does. And I don't think that Ohio State really wants to start a, a reloading season if it doesn't have to. Yeah. If it has someone like C.J. Stroud, I don't think, as much as I would advocate for it, and I spent the entire offseason saying that Ohio State should do a youth movement because it's not it doesn't have the defense to win a national title this year, um, Ohio State's not going to do that. That's not how these programs operate. If they don't have to have it down here, they're not going to. And so... I think a lot of it is that it's it's that Stroud is better right now. It's that he's more prepared to understand the offense. It's that starting a guy who showed up a week and a half before the season started is going to tear your locker room in half. Um, if, if I if I may interject, if you think if you think Ewers gets here beginning of July, do you think it's a different story? 
Yeah, I, I think it absolutely could be a different story because he would have an entire fall camp to to prove himself, and I think he's the most talented of the bunch. I I not I mean I don't know if that's a especially hot take. And the other guys are really good. You know, Kamakor's a really good player. C.J. Stroud's a really good player. Jack Miller's also on campus. This is it's it, it is not an easy situation to be a new quarterback in. Quinn Ewers is just that good, but he's not good enough to make up for the the gap in in age and experience in time in the offense there's there are there's not a quarterback on earth who could do that I don't think as as in his situation as a freshman that is already a year ahead of schedule I mean the kid I think he's 17 right now you know and and Ohio State's just not going to do that unless Jack Miller was the only option at quarterback and he's just he's just not if if CJ Stroud was at USC if Kyle McCord was at Penn State and Ohio State was was left with you know, it, it has a walk-on right now named Jagger LaRoe, who's who's decent. It has Jack Miller, who was a four-star, who's suffered through some injuries and, and sort of lost his 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 fastball. And, and then it had just a you know just anybody from the 2021 class doesn't need to be anybody great, but not Kyle McCord. And then I think Quinn could start, but I do not think the I think the baseline here is too high for him to come in and play as a true freshman, especially somebody who is arriving this late if if Kyle McCord with eight months notice couldn't unseat CJ Stroud I don't think that Quinn Ewers is like worlds better than McCord is and he's doing it on no time at all uh and then you mentioned the defense don't think they're national championship caliber uh do you think that means that they're not going to be the best in the Big Ten or do you think that means yeah they're going to do that but there's just that extra level that they are not able to get to so I, on a on a on a different show on my own show, um, last week I said that I think that the pass defense is going to be 126th in the nation. Um, Jesus, this secondary stinks, man. It is really, really not good. I don't think that people on the outside looking in realize how not good this secondary is. And Ohio State has been hyping up all offseason about how how important it is that they've had a full offseason to work with these guys. Um, I'm gonna shoot straight with you here. Kerry Combs, who is the defensive coordinator, is a recruiting coach. He is a recruiting coordinator. He said in talking to us a couple weeks ago that details and um, oh, what was his other word? Um, diligence. He said that details and diligence are not always his strong suit. Um, Bill, that's not that's not a great thing for your defensive coordinator to say. That's not um, a great. That's not a great thing for like an Uber driver to say. Yeah, and so his whole thing is that he he can hype the players up. If you know anything about Kerry Combs, you know that he is, that's his thing. He's a hype man. He's running the defense. He is now the sole defensive coordinator. Greg Madison isn't even here anymore. Greg Madison retired. And so Ohio State is asking Kerry Combs to coordinate a defense that lost its best cornerback who wasn't even very good last year. Sean Wade was not good last year. Is replacing him with Seven Banks who also struggled last season. The number two cornerback is coming off of an Achilles tear, and the safety has been a three-year starter that no one ever talks about, which is not usually a great thing for a three-year starter. Um, all four linebackers that contributed last season are gone. It doesn't seem like Ohio State really likes any of the linebackers that it has back. It is inventing a new position specifically to t- take one linebacker off the field, the, the <laughs> bullet position, um, which it should have been doing before. It's a it's a hybrid safety, and everybody else on earth is running with that, but... Um, 
the defensive line is going to be really good, but it's it's Larry Johnson's group. It's always going to be good. And so I think that this defense is less talented than last year's was, and last year's defense wasn't very good. It, it the, the final numbers did not quite bear out that way because of the talent, but I think that there will be a lot of yards specifically in the air to be had against this defense and a lot of points to be gained because of that. So uh, I guess we'll we'll end this before we I just run a few rapid fire questions for you. Uh, player players you're most interested in watching for Ohio State this season? Um, man, Demario McCall at cornerback who has who has shifted over from wide receiver. This is his sixth season. He has not yet done anything at Ohio State. Former four star, um, extremely nice young man. Very very good to talk to. Very good quote. Um, they have all off season said that he is, he is like a piece of clay who's there, who they are just molding because he has not ever developed any sort of habits. Um, uh, so I, I, am excited to see him, um, the bullet position that, that new hybrid has a player named Ronnie Hickman, who I really, really like. He's, he's a whole lot of fun to watch. Um, offensively, Travion Henderson is a monster true freshman running back. He just, and you would understand this having watched Saquon Barkley, he just moves differently for a running back. It's just like Mm -hmm. guys like that just kind of, they sort of glide on the field. They don't really touch the ground. They just kind of float all over the place. They Um, don't seem like they're running a 4-3-8, but they are running a 4-3-8 now. Yes, they just sort of, it, it, it looks like they are playing in a different speed than everyone else. They are seeing the field in a different way. They are seeing a different game. Travion Henderson has done that in practice. We have just seen him do that in, in, in like drills. He looks like that. And, uh, he showed up every other running back in a scrimmage last week. And I think he's going to be very, very good. Um, so I'm interested to see those guys. I'm, I'm the, the rest of the team, it is not an especially interesting team, which I, I will, I think is part of just when you cover a team for a while, you get a little bit tired of seeing the same faces every single time, especially when it's a team that doesn't really play a ton of competitive games. Um, but I, I am, I'm intrigued by some of the weirder players on this team. That's, that's always my, my favorite part yes. is like guys who don't really make a ton of sense. So let's end with a few rapid fire. I didn't tell you we were doing this, but we're going to just do this off the cuff. I just texted you a list of numbers, and that is everyone who is 25 to 1 or better or worse to win uh, the Big Ten. Uh, I didn't do 20 to 1 because I didn't want to give you the opportunity to say uh, Michigan, uh, not Michigan, Indiana. But of those teams, okay. 25 to 1 or greater, Minnesota, Northwestern, Nebraska, Maryland, Michigan State, Purdue, Illinois, and then Rutgers would be in there. Who is the team that you think is the most likely to be able to, I don't want to say win the Big Ten, I don't want to say uh, make it the Big Ten championship game, anything like that, but crash the party and have a really, really, really good season? Um, Minnesota because of the passing attack, because of the offense. I think the offense has the potential to be very good. Uh, who wins the Big Ten West? Uh, Wisconsin. And I'm guessing Ohio State went to win the Big Ten East and the Big Ten? Yes. Who is the – how many coaches don't make it to see next season? Oh, man. Um Let's 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 see if I can name all of the Big Ten teams off the top of my head. So um, Purdue, I think that there's a decent chance that Jeff Brom is gone. I, I I'll give him one. I don't think Nebraska fires Scott Frost um, just because I think he's going to go six and six. Um, Michigan with Harbaugh could be two. Um, Maryland 
Loxley, three. I'll say three. And then last question, what do you think Penn State ends up doing this season? Um, let me, let me, let me pull up the, the schedule real quick so I can get you a, a definitive answer. Oh I think I, I think that in the past I have said nine and three, uh, with losses to Wisconsin, Indiana and Ohio state. Um, I think that would be just outside of the, the new year six. So like an outback bowl, I, if, if memory serves and then a win over, uh, from the STC, I'll say, Florida. I, I think a, I think an Outback Bowl win over Florida and a nine and three. Do you know how happy I would be with? Because I would. I have talked myself into this season like not being very good, and yeah. I'm sure. Little little tease for those of you who are still listening. I'm trying to set something up with someone who I think might be able to talk me down off the ledge, uh, in a little. But like nine and three with those losses, especially because like Indiana is pro like. Indiana would probably be something of a coin flip game. Like yeah. I would just be like over the moon uh, with that sort of thing. Uh, Patrick was a joy. We will have you on again. Tell the folks where they could find you. Um, I'm on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. You can read my writing in the Buckeye Sports Bulletin newspaper and at BuckeyeSports.com, as well as at the Outside Zone on Substack. And you can hear me, my dulcet tones on flipping the field and the Buckeye Sports Bulletin podcast. Yes, and uh, Patrick is my go-to source for Ohio State for two reasons. One, because I go to Columbus Crew games with him, and two, because like you mentioned, he's one of the people who covers Ohio State, who is, uh, I don't want to say covers them adversarially, but is able to kind of take that extra bit of a step back and add some context that is really, really valuable uh, when you're talking about a program as big as Ohio State. So thank you very much, Patrick, for joining, and thank you very much to all of you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to go and pick up a t-shirt. Make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels, and if you are a fan of this podcast, please head to whatever podcasting platform you go to and subscribe, and if you use Apple Podcasts, please go and give us a five-star review. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.